Welcome to Uncommon Knowledge. I'm Peter Robinson. Today, two constitutional scholars on the constitutional crisis, the trial of President Trump. Richard Epstein is a professor of law at NYU, a professor of law emeritus at the University of Chicago, and a senior fellow here at the Hoover Institution. His newest book, coming out next month, that is in February, The Dubious Morality of the Administrative State. John Yu is a professor at the University of California at Berkeley School of Law. He served during the administration of President George W. Bush as Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Office of Legal Counsel in the Department of Justice. John Yu has a book coming out in June about President Trump and the Constitution that will be titled Defender in Chief. Welcome to Uncommon Knowledge, Richard good, and John. Two quotations. And by the way, as we record this, at this very hour, the House of Representatives is voting to transmit the articles of impeachment that were voted upon a month ago, to transmit the articles of impeachment to the Senate beginning a trial of President Trump. Two quotations. Speaker Pelosi, the American people deserve to learn the truth and the Constitution requires a trial. Donald Trump, I did nothing wrong. Uh, for now, very briefly, one sentence, two. Who's right? John? Uh, Trump's not right, but neither is Pelosi. Oh, <laughs> right. Trump is, shall we say, guilty of his customary hyperbole. If he said, I did nothing that counts as an impeachable offense, he would be right. If he says, I did nothing which provoked things uh, against me, uh, then that's always wrong because he's also not only defender-in-chief but provocateur-in-chief. But right. Ms. Pelosi is always wrong all the time on everything. <laughs> yes? Uh, I, th I actually disagree with Richard on whether he did something that could be impeachable. All right, we'll I come to that. I just don't think it can be removed. I don't think he should be removed from office. Ah, okay, we'll come to that. All right, so the charges. There are two articles of impeachment that they're going to be transmitting to the Senate tomorrow or the day after. Article 1, abuse of power. I'll have to take a deep breath, but it's worth getting these, this language out on the table for the two of you to comment on. Quote, using the powers of his high office, President Trump solicited the interference of a foreign government, Ukraine, in the 2020 United States presidential election. He did so through a scheme or course of conduct that included soliciting the government of Ukraine to publicly announce investigations that would benefit his reelection, harm the election prospects of a political opponent. They're talking about Joe Biden there and influence the 2020 United States presidential election to his advantage. President Trump sought to pressure the government of Ukraine to take these steps by conditioning official United States government acts of significant value to Ukraine on its public announcement of the investigations. As we all know, he threatened to withhold aid to Ukraine. Is President Trump guilty as charged in that article, Article 1, which is titled Abuse of Power, and if so, does the charge rise to an impeachable offense? Richard. Well, the first thing is they're not alleging any violation of criminal law. And the basic statement on the impeachment is you talk about treason, bribery, or other high crimes. High crimes. But the other is important. Uh, so, wait, wait, wait. So repeat the phrase from the Constitution. It is, it, it's treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And the other means that presumably you have to get something in there by way of a criminal offense. And the charge of generalized abuse of power does not meet that particular standard. They don't cite a statute, for example, which they're dealing with. So that's the first difficulty they have. The second difficulty they have is they do not confront a very serious issue 
which is the extent of the president's power to investigate and to deal with all sorts of things having to do with foreign affairs. He is a chief foreign affairs officer of the United States. The role of Congress is not non-existent, but it's generally subordinate. If you were to ask yourself um, in a different faction, you are now going into this mess inside Ukraine. And what you're trying to do is to figure out what happened. And you know uh, that Mr. Biden's son has been involved in a series of transactions, which to put it mildly, look highly irregular under these circumstances. Right. Uh, that the president, Vice President Montgomery, uh, Biden himself boasted about the way in which he forced the prosecutors to back off on various things because otherwise he was going to withhold money. That's on the record. That's yeah. not in dispute. Yeah. That, so all of these things essentially would then ask the question is, can you do it? The exact words in the famous uh, July conversation was, I'd like you to look into. Uh, the allegations that there was pressure on him are based only on the hearsay report. They're not based upon that telephone. And what's so, rather that telephone the conversation. The hearsay by State Department the, and other the, officials. Who actually did not get the information themselves. It's double hearsay. We don't even know whom he got it from. And so as you start to look at that kind of evidence, uh, what you have to do is to figure out whether or not the move from I'd like you to look into uh, to I pressured you into it uh, is difficult to make. You have to then recognize that the discussion of the 2020 election was nowhere in evidence at that particular point in time. So you have to infer that. And the way in which this was all done is to say a very particular request at a rather modest level is now treated, please dig up dirt on this particular man. Uh, the word dirt was never used. There was never a request that there be all some sort of a far going thing. So put it to you in another way. Suppose what Trump had done, I'm just going to stop at this room. Right, sure. Is he goes and he tells his own attorney general, uh, we have this very explosive combative situation in the Ukraine. Uh, President Obama refused to give lethal weapons to them, even though authorized by a Congress to do so. I would like you to investigate the relationship of Hunter Biden to his father under these things so I could formulate policy. Would that count as an impeachable offense? I Not a chance. Answer. Not a chance. Well, at is this that point, correct? I, I would hope so, but All you right. know, uh, uh, we're dealing with Democrats as well as Republicans, and the definitions are elastic. But I think if you have to put this thing into context, what is thoroughly missing from the charges is any element of presidential power and any element of presidential justification. John. So I disagree with Richard on the definition of high crimes and misdemeanors. Well, I have a do. more capacious. Uh, understanding of the phrase that comes from the founding debates, but I agree with him, and I and I probably disagree with him in the sense that I tend to think the House Democrats found the facts that were out there, and they show inappropriate conduct by President Trump. But we come out the same way in that this is not worth removing a president; it's not worth convicting under the impeachment clause. So, uh, first, I think uh, the phrase "high crimes and misdemeanors" does not limit impeachment only to violations of criminal law. Uh, like bribery, treason, or some other statute. And the reason uh, I say that is when the phrase was debated at the constitutional conventions and the state ratifying conventions, critics of the Constitution said, what does that phrase mean? If it only means you can remove a president for criminal law violations, a president could still do lots of bad things. Right. So give us an example of something you could impeach a bad president for that wouldn't be a crime. So the defenders of the Constitution, the Federalists, the one example they repeated over and over again was suppose the king of France, Louis XIV, the sun king, gave money to the king of England, which was not a crime at that time, just to influence our foreign policy, the British foreign policy. 
that would easily be an impeachable offense. They also gave examples. But, but impeach whom? You don't impeach the. But they're saying, what if an American president had done the same thing? Oh, I see, I see, I see, I see, I see. But then they said, what if an American president signed a treaty that only benefited his political party or signed a treaty that only benefited his state at the expense of the national interest? The Federalists would say, that's an impeachable offense. So to me, if you look at the evidence from the beginning, they did have this notion of abuse of power. But I think, this is where I agree with Richard, the key word is other. They didn't think any abuse of a power was grounds to remove a president. They said it had to be something similarly grievous, damaging to the country as treason or bribery. So, can I just? So I don't. I just don't think that's been met here. Can, can, may I just summarize what I understand? Correct me if I make a mistake here, but I think we've all read the articles, so many of them over the past months that we. The fact set is, the president had a conversation with the president of Ukraine. He mouthed off as he often does does. and at that point he was considering withholding funds although he didn't mention withholding funds to the president of ukraine he said what about could you could you investigate get in touch with my my attorney general will will be in touch my counsel rudy giuliani will be in touch and nothing happened the president of ukraine is on record as saying he never felt any pressure the funds were released and did flow through to Ukraine. Rudy Giuliani never got in touch with the president of Ukraine. And the attorney general of the United States never got in touch with the president of Ukraine. So one perfectly legitimate, I think, but I'm asking you, construction of, that, of those facts is that Trump is thinking aloud in a conversation which is, by all accounts, genial with a, a, a colleague in the sense that he's another head of state. And he's sort of poking and asking and but this is not a, it's not a serious, it's Donald Trump talking, it's mouthing off. This is why you have a trial, because you have because there are different two different interpretations yes. depending on Trump's mental but, state and intention. So you could say, Richard's right, you could say on the one hand, what he was really doing is this is kind of his weird shorthand. He just thinks about Biden, but his, what he really wanted was investigate corruption in Ukraine. I'm hearing lots of stories, and I'm not going to release funds to a corrupt government. And he right. just says Biden because that's just... The, the way that's what's in his mind, right? No, but suppose I, the alternate explanation is, I really want to nail the guy who might beat me in 2020, and so I'm going to withhold funds. Funds are delayed until September, in between July and September. That's what a lot of the investigations in the House did bring forward. Right. He is it does seem to be issuing orders through the bureaucracy not to d- disperse the funds, and in Trump's mind, he's like, maybe I can get away with harming Biden and using Ukraine to do it. That's that's why I don't think this is something the Senate will, in the end, convict and so, remove so for, because it really depends on presidential state of mind. And you are talking about intention and state of mind when the subject is Donald J. Trump. <laughs> so you're saying you got a multiple state. Who is so it. mercurial. How? Yeah. I don't... Well, look, yeah. first of all, John did not mention the burden of proof. Mm. And when you're dealing with kind of criminal cases, this surely has to be treated. Generally, it's kind of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. What you're now doing is you're drawing the most hostile set of inferences from a conversation as opposed to those of ordinary speech. But you've got to put this in context in a couple of ways. The one word that is often left out from that debate is after he mentions Biden, he says the word terrible. Now, why is that important? Because what Trump 
as actually a man of high moral sensibilities, right? He does have his own. He says he couldn't believe that anybody would do this kind of thing. And remember, he's been in all sorts of trouble because of the emoluments clauses and other situations. And this looks like pretty blatant um, self-dealing, particularly since uh, the problem existed with the appointment of Hunter, and Hunter quits uh, Hunter is Biden's son, son right. and he quits the week before Biden announces. This thing really does sound rather rattan, and that's the way in which he looks at the other point that one has to do. Which is legitimate. Yes, of Correct? course it's legitimate, okay. but the issue of coercion, you don't want the narrative to be, Donald Trump doesn't care about a corruption. He has this hearing, then he does the investigation. There was a long account in the New York Times, which it gives you the exact opposite impression. This question of do we give lethal weapons to the Ukraine was something that was on everybody's mind inside the government for weeks and months before this decision was made, just as it had been on the minds of everybody inside the Obama administration. And so, if because it's a hard decision, choice, and and indeed it was a hard decision, right. and it was only when he got pressured by key senators. I think it was Rob Portman that he yes. decided to make the release on this stuff. Uh, you can't do a narrative which starts with the unsupported hearsay and ignore everything that goes before. So the, the Democrats, I think, are in a hopeless box, and I think they deserve to be there. One is you cannot convict on the transcript. And two, it is just an enormous task which they did not investigate to see the entire six-month history before the funds were released. I completely agree with that, that if the House had done its job in more deliberate, careful fashion, in doing the investigation, doing the indictment, which is what an impeachment is, is a sort of prosecutor's yes. statement, and had more left more time for witnesses, called John Bolton, called uh, Vice President Pence, Mike Mulvaney, wait till the courts resolved executive privilege claims, they, then you might have a fuller picture and then you could have a real trial. But because they cut it off and shortened it for political reasons, and then they changed their mind and then held on to it, but they accelerated investigation, didn't hear from the prime witnesses at all, uh, I think, Richard's right, you don't have enough evidence there to meet any burden of proof. But my point is that even if it's all true, all right. the facts are true, suppose all the worst things they say about Trump are true. They're, they're, they, they t as Richard said, they put place the most, the yeah. neg the most, most negative, negative possible yeah. construction on that thin set of facts. Yeah. So stipulate, so that, the stipulate light, that they're right. Least favorable to the plaintiff. Suppose okay. the prosecutors right. are right. I just don't think it meets the legal standard of what you want a president to be removed for because presidents right. abuse power all the time. I would say President Obama abused power when he said, I'm not going to enforce the immigration laws. That's in many ways much more serious abuse of power than anything Trump does. Trump is being accused of Part of here. his oath is to see that the laws are faithfully executed. So the, I think impeachment which says treason, bribery, and then Richard's right, other high crimes and misdemeanors. You're not going to remove presidents except for things as serious as treason and briberies, things that are real right. abuses. Okay. I don't think these facts, even if they're true, they meet that standard. Article 2, yes. obstruction of Congress. Again, I have to take a deep breath, in, but it's important to get the language out. This one's a joke. <laughs> so maybe you shouldn't read the whole thing, Go Richard. Right right. <laughs> Article 2, obstruction of Congress. Quote, in response to subpoenas from the House of Representatives, President Trump directed a directed executive branch agencies, offices, and officials not to comply with those subpoenas. President Trump thus interposed the powers of the presidency against the lawful subpoenas of the House of Representatives. Listen to that, Epstein. He interposed presidential powers and assumed to himself the functions and judgments necessary to the exercise of the sole power of impeachment vested by the Constitution and the House of Representatives. Again, John, is the president guilty? And if so, does the charge rise to the level of an impeachable offense? 
I think Richard and I have one mind on this, and I think most serious constitutional scholars Joke. think that this is wrong. <laughs> Joke, maybe too strong, because it's not funny, but it is, <laughs> actually is kind of funny, but it's, it's just wrong, because what the House is doing is saying, we are impeaching you, President Trump, for invoking your constitutionally recognized privileges, executive privilege, the right to protect your communications with your aides from another branch's effort to find them out. Uh, and then the- So can I, yeah. there was not this, when Trump refused to comply with the subpoenas, this was not an act of crude defiance or simple stonewalling. He had the White House counsel explain their thinking in detail in memos to Adam Schiff, who was chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, and all of this passes constitutional muster. Every claim Pat Cipollone made. Actually, the, so uh, the White House counsel's letter uh, was actually really strange, as was Trump himself sent the, uh, if you recall, he himself sent the letter, uh, which really Speaker both Pelosi. of those engaged in uh, uh, sort of non-legal, very political exaggeration There's a lot of rhetoric. Name yeah, yeah. But if you if you actually were to write a memo or write a serious legal opinion. If they had asked either of you to write a memo. <laughs> well, you, Richard would have been done in about five minutes. It would have taken me about a week. But you know, if we were writing this memo. I'll give you would, this 250 word version. <laughs> what it would have said was, oh, the pr under Supreme Court precedent and long historical practice and the Constitution, the president has the right of confidentiality to discuss matters with his aides. That right is at its highest when the matters are national security foreign affairs, diplomacy, which are the matters here involving right, Ukraine. Right. We don't actually know because no court has ever decided what happens when there's a conflict between that president's power and the right of the House to investigate an impeachment. But we know when the House conducts normal investigations, the president is allowed to withhold that kind of information. So how can you impeach a president for invoking his constitutionally authorized rights? And if you want to flip it around, Suppose someday we have President Buttigieg, I don't know how to, Buttigieg, Buttigieg, Close whatever. Everybody Suppose there's a president. Mayor Pete. Pete. Mayor Pete. All you need to do from now on to learn everything he says to his aides and assistants is just for some hostile house to start an impeachment proceeding. Just right. say, we win right. automatically, no executive privilege anymore. And we know from history that if you don't have that privilege, presidents will not get the best advice, advisors right. will not have candid discussions, and the, the nation's welfare will suffer. This is one of the most scandalous charges ever imaginable. The simple answer to this is there is a process. Uh, you can issue a subpoena. You could announce that the refusal is without lawful justice or excuse. But there has to be an adjudication against you by a court before it becomes a duty upon you in order to comply. And so what essentially the House of Representatives is doing is saying that it has the role not only of a prosecutor in this uh. case, but also the role of a judge in this particular case to decide on the merits of a case. And that is truly outrageous. It is just an absolute scandal. The fact that every single Democrat voted for that article of impeachment, as far as I'm concerned, imputes everything they did with respect to the first article where you could at least have a discussion. This is just an outrage uh, because in the end of the world, anybody can now 
now impeach anybody for refusing to answer a subpoena, but only if you refuse to answer the subpoena to the House, unless the Senate happens to be in the same hands of the same party. Right. Executive privilege is a big, complicated stuff. And even if you go back to Watergate, when the House wanted to get some inf information very late in the hearings, it turned out that the court said, we don't think under these circumstances you're entitled to get this kind of information. But the House went to the courts. Yes, mm -hmm. and they which, lost. Which the House, in this case, did not, not do. do. And not they only did, that, they, they lost. They did, but they wouldn't wait for the courts to decide before they rushed through the impeachment. Yeah, so, I mean, this, okay. is, this is beyond belief. Uh, and right. uh, it just simply tars the entire proceeding. They should drop this article if they have any chance of winning on the first. On to the trial. I want to ask a few questions about what's going to happen in the Senate, because whatever you may think of the two articles, and it's clear neither of you thinks highly of them, a trial is going to take place. Mm -hmm. By the way, so the threshold question was, would the Senate simply dismiss these articles out of hand, which it sounds as though the two of you would have recommended the Senate to do. Here's a quotation from Mitch McConnell just a day or two ago. Mitch McConnell, senator from Kentucky, majority leader, the man in charge in the Senate. Quote, there's little to no sentiment in the Republican conference for a motion to dismiss. Our members feel they have an obligation to listen to the arguments, close quote. So the trial will take place. Question number one is witnesses and new documents admitted as evidence. Mitch McConnell has announced that he is going to begin the trial and defer until some unknown date, votes on whether to call new witnesses and admit new documents as evidence. So, for example, the Democrats are calling for uh, John Bolton, for your friend and My former friend, national security advisor, mm -hmm. at the acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. These did not testify before the House. Mm -hmm. The Democrats are saying they must testify before the Senate, and McConnell is saying, we'll get to that. Is that the correct way to handle the question? Or, in other words, the argument is you should open up the fact-finding function as against, no, 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 that was the job of the House. It's up to the Senate simply to decide on the articles as they have been transmitted to us. John. So first, the Constitution says the Senate has the sole power to try impeachments. There is no outside legal standard authority that forces the Senate to run the trial any which way it can, the Senate, it's totally up to the Senate. Including the statements of Speaker Pelosi. Yeah, doesn't matter what the House thinks. They right. only have the power to issue the impeachment. Uh, only the Senate has the power to try. They're not bound by standards of due process. They're not bound by the standards of how federal courts run trials. They're not bound by the Supreme Court because one thing the Supreme Court has said is we will not review impeachment. And so how the procedure goes is totally up to the senators. Ultimately, based on the way the Senate rules, it's ultimately up to a majority of senators, issue by issue. So all those questions you asked, can we dismiss without even having a fact trial? They could do that if 51 senators want to. Do we need to call witnesses? They could do that if 51 senators want to. Uh, it's all going to be decided piece by piece. I think that was actually smart of uh, the majority leader to do it that way because it's easier for the senators before they even know what the case is about to just say, oh, let's just have all the witnesses. Right. Yeah, open it up to all the evidence. Why not throw it all in? Which, by the way, does not comport with our notions of due process in a normal trial. We don't never allow people to just sort of surprise and produce things you know, in the middle of the trial that neither side got to have carefully examined before. But I think, uh, and this is, I think uh, Mitch McConnell did, is he looked back at the Clinton impeachment trial, which is using the same, used the same system and he saw that once the things got started, once you saw the uh, 
opening arguments, you saw the evidence, the senators are, not, are going to be reluctant to make it a long, drawn-out process where they say, let's have 10 witnesses. And let's Now, the other thing is, the other reason I think the senators are not going to want to do it is look at where the political responsibility lies in this game. Uh, if senators don't have to make arguments themselves, if they don't have to cross-examine witnesses, what's their role? They're just the jury. They sit silently. They don't have to explain their votes. They don't have to issue opinions. They don't have the political responsibility. The way it works now, I think, the blame Under is all going to go. Rules. Yeah, the blame is all going to go on the House and the Democratic Party and the House managers. The Republican senators can just vote to acquit. They take no active role. By the way, we should this explain perfectly. We actually. should explain that the House chooses managers to act in a. In effect, the prosecutors. They're the, prosecutors. Yeah, they're the prosecutors. And then the Senate will invite the White House the to name defense attorneys. It's the White House, as we, as we record this, the White House has not yet done so, they're but everybody is expecting Pat Cipollone, the White House, House counsel, and Jay Sekulow, the outside Jay Sekulow is the president's personal counsel. I've got this piece in L.A. Times where no, I... No, we're coming to oh, that, John. Okay. Can oh, I, I, got can a I, com can I comment idea. on Of course you may. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> let me sort of say the following observations. First of all, I mean, this is a double-edged sword. Uh, there's no question that the Democrats have no excuse for not calling these people earlier since they controlled the hearings in a rather illicit fashion by refusing to have indictments and allow the Republicans equal say in this. So if there's anybody who has a right to call witnesses at this particular point that they should show choose, it would be the Republicans more than the Democrats, the right. president, them, because they did not have a chance earlier on in order to take this particular situation. So whom are you going to call? Well, I think you might want to call Joe Biden and you might want to call Hunter Biden for starters. And the argument would be we would like to understand exactly what this particular relationship turns out to be to see whether or not there was reasonableness in the question of trying to look into something. I do not think it would be a wise political thing to do so. At least I would guess it's not. But you never know how this trial is going to go at the first stage to see what is going to happen at the second stage. So that's the first thing. The second. By the way, can I just... Both of you are talking about once this thing starts. It's going to snowball. Th in other words, both of you, you haven't commented on this explicitly, but the sheer open-endedness of this trial. We are now chaotic. beginning a ride, and we don't know where, where it's going to end. Let me put it this way. If you so, right. open up the witnesses, it is clearly the president has a much stronger case for having his witnesses in there uh, than the Democrats have for theirs. By the way, I should note, you both said that on rules changes, what you need is 51 votes. Yes. Republicans now hold 53 of the 100 votes in the Shaky, Senate. Shaky, perhaps? Democrats, 47 votes. Yes, well, we'll come to that as well. As, in, as on many questions, the founders anticipated that there would be someone like a Richard Epstein someday. To make your life miserable. <laughs> make your, Nobody and, could have anticipated would raise Richard. These pro, would raise these but, problems. But, and they said they actually addressed this issue okay. in the Federalist Papers, because Alexander Hamilton says, it is going to be a chaotic political process. Impeachment will draw out the worst passions of the people. Partisanship will be ugly. And so he said, the way we cure that is we can't make the Senate trial or the House impeachment process fair and neutral and legal because of these political passions. So the main check yes. on all of this is the two-thirds two conviction vote. requirement. Right. That because it's so high, he, Hamilton thought it will tamp down or at least make all right. that partnership useless. And I think that's exactly what's going to well, happen Well, he's the 24-7. But look, the, the problem... So, you, let me just re repeat okay. that. To change Senate rules, that is to say the change procedure of the trial requires a simple majority of 51. Yes. 
Actually, okay. the way it works is you make an appeal to the Chief Justice. The Chief Justice rules initially, and then the, the majority of the Senate can overrule him or not. Okay. Yeah. To convict the president and remove him from office Two requires things. 67 votes. Yes, That's a say. large difference. Yeah. Which bring, you just raised the, sub, the matter I want to come to next. Constitution of the United States, Article 1, Section 3, quote, when the president of the United States is tried, the chief justice shall preside. Shall preside. So let me give you a quotation from an article the other day in the New York Times. The chief justice's responsibilities at the trial are fluid and ill-defined, like everything else, more or less, that's <laughs> what you were saying. saying. And they will probably turn out to be largely ceremonial. Oh, no, that can't be that. That's not true. And that's what is wrong. certain is that they will be full of peril for the chief justice's reputation and that of his court. This sounds like it's coming from the New York Times. It is coming from the New York Times. <laughs> okay. As opposed so, to somebody else would say. So what does the Chief Justice actually do oh, during this trial? He basically is, first he's the traffic yeah. cop. Uh, so that anything that has He's going to sit. Sit right in, in the middle the, of these in characters. In the well of the Senate. He's going to basically, if anything by way of a motion comes up, he will basically first direct what kind of arguments will be made on this thing. And then he will issue a preliminary decision. At that particular point, they're then going to be the question of how it goes out. One of the things we don't know about this particular process is after he issues his motion, whether there's going to be any public debate amongst the various senators as to what will be said. There's a real difficulty here. The Senate is supposed to be a jury, but the Senate is supposed to be a quasi-inquisitor. Uh, the separation of powers, definition of roles are not at all clear in this particular case. And all it will take so, is one daring maneuver by somebody to set the whole thing on fire. So, so let me ask, just what is this going to look like with regard to the chief justice? Let's say, by comparison with what we watch on television, Perry Mason, Boston Legal, is it going to be uh, Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel, and the House managers, may it please your honor. They're going to be referring to, he's going to be right in the middle of every moment I of the trial. what John Roberts would want, have want it to look like. He, yes. he wouldn't want to look like Chief Justice Rehnquist during the Clinton yes, trial, which exactly. is we don't remember anything about what Rehnquist no, did or said. No, we do remember one thing about Rehnquist. Had, <laughs> we remember the robes. <laughs> he had little yes, chevrons yes, on yes, his robes. Yes, 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 yes. He okay. would like but to But if you remember, what he did is he basically deferred every question put to him to the Senate, and he really didn't put a lot of restrictions on things. So, for example, there was this question of, uh, actually one really interesting question in the Clinton uh, trial was, do senators have to only consider the evidence presented in the trial, or they can, can, can they consider anything else outside the trial in making their decision? Right. And Renko said, basically, I'm not going to restrict senators on what they want to do. Uh, so if you're Roberts, and you want to... And what, what, if we know anything about John Roberts, we know that he is an institutionalist. Right. He is concerned with holding the republic together. He will want the Supreme Court to come out of this with his reputation untarnished, yeah. and if possible, the Senate and the House as well. Correct? Yeah, and so if you're Roberts, I, I agree with you. So if you're All Roberts, right. you want to be a low profile, as low profile as possible, and you want to kick everything over to having the Senate majority decide. But let me... No, uh, I don't believe give, he can, can do give, that. You don't. No, no because he I think he has to make, I mean, no. sooner or later... Give me an example of the kind of question well, that I'm he'll have to what answer. If, what if Ted Cruz gets up on the first day? Senator says, Cruz I Texas. make a motion to dismiss the whole impeachment trial because facts, yeah. even if they're true, do not rise to, do not meet the definition of a high crime and misdemeanor. He then has to decide what kind of arguments are going yeah. to be heard on that motion. And he might, so a more I mean, daring chief justice. So this is, this is my historical example. Oh, this could be... He could issue his... John Marshall sat over something very similar, which was the Aaron Burr trial, where of which was not which was even worse than impeachment. It was a treason trial where Thomas Jefferson's involved, the Vice President Aaron Burr is the defendant. 
John Marshall issued a lot of controversial opinions about executive privilege, subpoenas, all these questions. You could see a different man than John Roberts issuing an opinion. What does high crime and misdemeanor mean? What can we have the president come test? My understanding is that Sam and Chase, Chief Justice Chase, during the impeachment yeah. trial of Andrew Johnson, it, it was all kind of an activist jurist. That was right, my yeah, it's, it's okay. almost impossible to avoid all of this. Look, you're, you're dealing with a situation which, thank God, not every senator of the United States is a lawyer. And then what you're doing <laughs> is you're presenting to these people extremely complicated and difficult legal questions. And all we need to do to get Justice Robinson there is Senator X, Y, and Z, who happens to major in haberdashery, says, I would like some instruction from the Chief Justice as to what he thinks to be the relevant precedents in this case. And it's going to be very difficult for wow. him to get out of it. Okay. We don't know which way we'll go. Look, the key point to understand is a game theoretical matter is that a single member of the Senate, Ted Cruz, Chuck Schumer, anybody else can force the issue by a declaration so that you do not have to have a majority to make mischief. One person can do it. And the whole thing has this, let me say, this following yeah. quality. The Democrats keep reminding the Republicans that they have to be neutral jurors and look at the evidence. I never heard them remind Charles Schumer of that particular right, fact. Right, right, right. And so we're going to also get the questions if, well, have the Democrats in their particular questions showed the appropriate judicial temperament uh, uh, given their sworn position under these things. Turnabout is fair play. For the first time, they're not going to control the complete agenda, mm -hmm. which means things will be much more unpredictable and probably much uglier than you hope, unless McConnell gets it right. What he should do is everybody makes their opening statement and their opening statement then you look around, and after the statements are done, you ask the senators, a majority of you ready to vote? If they say a majority are, vote, acquit, you avoid this. Uh, if, in fact, it turns out you that... Want, you, you effectively want the thing yeah, I mean, dismissed out of the outset, give everybody 20 once minutes you to decide, act, Once you decide that the them. witness is coming on one side, you can't keep them out on the other side. That's and essentially what happened in the Clinton trial. Right. It was basically turned okay. into just so And that was the right thing to that's, do. Yeah. That's procedure. Let me go to the case. Uh, as, as we mentioned, the House managers will argue for the prosecution. The president's defense team will argue for the defense. John, you, I hereby name you the lead House manager. Oh, thanks. What is the strongest case that you can make against the president? And the aim here is not to do justice. The aim here is to get 50, well, to get 67 votes. What is the aim? They know they can't get 67 votes to convict. The aim is to do Donald J. Trump the most political damage you can, right? Yeah, yeah right. I okay. think that's what so this what's is So what's the case? About. You're on television. Mm -hmm. The whole nation, the whole world is watching. What case do you make? So first you say, please give money to my re-election campaign. <laughs> no, you don't do that. <laughs> so no, what you really do is you say, look, here are the facts as you've gone through them. President Trump made a call to the head of another country and asked that head of another country to provide him intelligence which had only the use in President Trump's mind of being turned into ammunition to influence the 2020 election. Did not have any value or use for any public interest of the United States. So the president abused his constitutional power, which I totally agree with, over foreign affairs purely for his own personal benefit. That by definition is an abuse of power. We can't have as the head of the government someone who is so willing seriatim to use their constitutional authorities purely for their own personal benefit. 
so he must be removed from office. And Vice President Pence can take over. Yeah, I would not do it exactly that way. What would you do? This is a political trial, right? Yeah. The first thing you say is that we are doing an examination of a man who's charged with an abuse of trust. Let us talk about his temperament in office in order to make more credible this particular charge. We have here a person who is a loose cannon. He has tweeted 4,900 times about this case. This is a man who has said this is, he's absolutely innocent. This is a man who has called for the impeachment of Miss Nancy Pelosi. This is a man for whom the word fake news is used at every opportunity. Why is it that we should give the slightest degree of credibility to somebody who's such a miscreant on these kinds of issues when it comes to delicate questions? We know something about his temperament, and this is absolutely critical because there have been noted commentators on various kinds of shows like Uncommon Knowledge who have said that the presumption belongs with the president on these issues. Knowing what his temperament is about, that presumption that we would give to any decent human being in that office has to be denied to this particular president whose basic behavior is a scandal and a disgrace to the United States of America. Richard, Yours, of remind me never to cross you. <laughs> Wow, you can argue both sides. <laughs> All right. But none I, of that's in the House indictment, by the way. I didn't no, say it was. No, no, no. Yeah. That's why Richard began by saying yeah. this is a political question. Right? Yeah. Okay, John, you're now in charge of the defense team. <coughs> ah, thanks again. The best case in defense of this lunatic president is... <laughs> <laughs> the, best, the best defense. What should they be arguing? Oh, so in response to my... Gentle colleague, Richard, I'm that, sure that's the first time he's been called gentle colleague. And last. <laughs> is, uh, you know, we're not trying Donald Trump. We are talking about the institution of the presidency. We are talking about can the presidency successfully function in the future and then talk about all the responsibilities the president has to protect the welfare and security of the country. When we're moving somebody for something that may seem inappropriate to some people, may not to others, if the facts are in doubt, mental states are in doubt, the House did not have a full investigation, Can, should the Senate remove a president from office for something involving a small, unimportant country over one phone call where we're not sure what really happened? And then, as you said, where Ukraine eventually received the money, where Joe Biden and Hunter Biden never actually investigated, and actually the United States has now supported Ukraine with lethal aid far more robustly than anything the past administration oh, did. This is beautiful. So this is the way it'll shape up. The prosecution no, will go after... My my hold on. No, no, but the prosecution, I'm coming to you. The prosecution will put the personality of Donald Trump at the center of its case, and the defense will put the president, the institution of the presidency. If they're smart. If, if they're, they're smart, smart they no, would no, make I, it about I the presidency. I don't think that's so smart. You don't think so? Okay. No, I think and you so have to you do defend that, him. You have to defend look, look, Trump let me person, tell you, many, many Trump years ago, I got involved in various issues involving fraud litigation. Okay? All right. And so, As a lawyer or a defendant? Well, I, I don't wish to talk about that. It was all settled, thank God. But the following, no, the, the following, no, I wasn't actually interested. Go ahead, go no, ahead. You're not on trial. No, no, it's very defensive. No, it wasn't that. It was as a plaintiff. All right. As a plaintiff. Now, but let me explain to you you. the the most important thing that one has to understand about cases involving integrity and so forth is John has taken the pussyfoot strategy of denial. 
the tough strategy always goes in the other direction. So you'll look at them and say, the reason you're bringing this suit is that you are guilty of fraud yourself. That's the way you defend a fraud case. You make the plaintiff into a liar. So what are you going to do in this particular case? You don't begin the way John does with this hopeless abstraction. You go in there. On the day of the election in 2018, the following Democratic senator said it was either impeachment or bust in the way in which we're going for this case. These people salivated when the entire Mueller trying was going up. Absolutely absolutely certain that they would be able to get impeachable information. And when Mueller turned out to be a dud, what they did is they started to look for other things that they could attack. And the next thing on the agenda was Ukraine. What you have to understand is that malice of forethought in the one case becomes malice of forethought in the other case. And if you don't believe me, I suggest you look at the investor's report. What you are seeing there is a complete repudiation of everything that Adam Schiff said. And who is leading this particular prosecution? The shameless Mr. Schiff, who has been caught out on every single fraud imaginable. That's the way you begin this thing. You don't mess around trying to talk about burdens of proof. What you do is you taint the plaintiffs. And that's just the question. Uh, if you look at many newspapers, uh, they still think that Donald Trump is on the road with respect to the 2016 election. But the real story relies not in that. It relies in the Horowitz report and the Durham report, which is going to come out later Richard, on. Richard, you realize that you are one of the most esteemed legal scholars in the country, that even liberal scholars say, well, no, no, Richard Epstein, his body of work is, is just one of the great monuments to the law of the last Thanks. 50 years. No, and actually, here you're saying, some of them do, and what you're saying right now is, oh, throw that stuff yeah. away. No, Let's get exactly. down and dirty. No, exactly. no this I, is what Richard's, I'm very struck, surprised that you're making these arguments, Richard, because you're not arguing you're gonna, the law. You're, you're, you're turning, you asked me, you're not asking you're me what turning, I would you're say. Turning, you're turning impeachment into just another no, part I'm of the destruction of no, our institutions no, John, and John politicizing yet another wrong. You're politicizing yet another of our constitutional They are going to basically begin the mud campaign on the other side. You've got yeah, to throw so mud right back. by ignoring them and sticking to institution to it, and principles. You have to do under these circumstances. Oh, no, you're falling for their trap. No, you're not falling for okay, their trap. Okay, okay, hold on. John Yu, writing last month in the Los Angeles Times, during the trial, the cause of the impeachment mess, the president, will be tweeting happily even ferociously from a distance. But Trump could radically change the course of the proceedings by appearing in person in the Senate. Did you hear what he's recommending? which would be his right, close quote. I'm just trying to figure out how much of a fever are you running, John? Well, okay, but to begin with, you say it would be the president's right to appear in the Senate in person? Explain that. Well, actually, the, the Senate actually issues a summons to the president to appear, and the president, by tradition, sends his lawyer. But I thought, what would generate the highest TV ratings in the history of mankind, other than Richard appearing on Uncommon uh, Knowledge as a fraud plaintiff. question. <laughs> but also, would settle the question once and for all, because the question once and for all is, what was President Trump really up to? What was in his state of mind? So, you know, he, you could have, you could have Richard's <laughs> trial where you present the plaintiff's Mal arguments. <laughs> and then you have the defense attorneys, right? No. And then why doesn't Trump appear pro se as his own lawyer at the end and deliver his own closing statement to 
a sea of 100 senators who are not allowed to speak. It will be the most Are you merely being impish and provocative, which is your right, or are you really arguing this? If you were if you were the White House, if you were in Pat Cipollone's place, you were the White House counsel. Trump not to do it, of course. Tell him not to do it. I think it might be irresistible for Trump to do it. That's exactly why I tell him not to do it. Trump might really want to. Because it's also politics, not just Jones against Clinton. Right. Right. Uh, the dumbest decision in many ways by Justice Stevens, who had no idea of how dangerous depositions are. When you have a witness in a serious John case, Paul Stevens didn't understand depositions. No, he did not. Well, he's he's right, referring to the case of, of the, Paula Jones the, and Bill Clinton, whether Clinton a president Jones. can be, be sued and while president for things that happened. In 1997, he, he writes the opinion that Thank you. there's no harm in allowing the depositions to take place. Now, I have been enough of a lawyer. And I've actually been forced to testify sometimes on facts, sometimes as an expert on these things. And the first thing that you understand is the following phrase. I'll give it to you from my great friend Gary Eldon. He said as follows. He says, Richard, he said, when your deposition is being taken, you are not talking, you are writing. You have to constantly look at the fingers of the court stenographer because you realize that everything you say is irrevocable. And the moment you open your mouth, a trap door will descend upon you and you will never be able to escape. So the secret... Wait, so your lawyer said, don't say anything, Richard. And, and I not only... Did this work? Did this work? Triumphantly. Triumphantly. The reason is it worked. What he did is he got me into a little debate about, you know, sort of asking me questions, wanting me to be clever. And basically, after 90 seconds of this thing, I realized I was heading straight to jail. Um, and that what you have to do is, when your lawyer tells you, you answer only after you think, only in monosyllabic, the single most dangerous thing for an academic like me is somebody asked you a question, and he said, well, do you mean A or do you mean B? He only thought of A, he didn't think of B, but do you know what his answer is? I'd like to hear both. Right. Um, so right. what you do is you ca- you have to be absolutely tight-lipped. You can't be an expert witness unless you can survive depositions. I've known people who do you believe Donald Trump is capable of no, being he's tight-lipped? not. No, no, that's why I think right. he won't be able to resist the opportunity no, no, to what be the bride at the wedding. We're, we're the cutting this segment. We're cutting this segment of the show because we don't want we don't want we really don't want to encourage anybody. No, essentially what you do is you manacle him. You don't let him get there. <laughs> You okay. can't do it. I mean, and so it's his right. He's the president. He I mean, gets to decide. I mean he, he has a right. He will impeach himself. He we we now we we pull back from innocent. Donald Trump yeah. to the country to the institutions. We, we 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 put the focus where John Yu wants it. Quickly, briefly, let me go through. I'm sure you could give a a, a kind of dissertation on each of these. Thank you. But I want to go through the previous impeachments. Impeachment of President Andrew Johnson in 1868. He's accused. There are a number of accusations, but the central accusation is that he violated the Tenure of Office Act by firing a member of his cabinet, Secretary of War Edwin Stanton. Did that impeachment meet the founders' standard? Well, you have to answer the following antecedent question. What is the right of the dismissal of the president? And it turns out it's a very complicated question under the unitary executive. I think it's easy. And my view about it is that the yeah. president can fire all of his chief officials and he does not need to show cause. So I would have basically dismissed that indictment on the grounds that so it's... even the first impeachment in your judgment... Legally indefect, is legally yes, defective. I think Congress could have impeached him for... They were impeaching him for the wrong thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, because well, they were they what he was really doing and why he was really impeached was because he was refusing to carry out reconstruction. Right. But they made up this fake crime. So the very yeah. first this is a kind of original sin. The very first It's actually very similar to what's going on today. Was a political yeah. process. Okay. Yeah. Item number one. Item number two. <laughs> The impeachment of Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon is never actually impeached because the House doesn't bring the <laughs> articles of impeachment to the floor for a vote because he resigns beforehand. Yeah. He would have been. But there is an impeachment process that takes place, and they take their good time about it. It starts in October 73 and continues until August 74 when he resigns. Did that process meet the founder's standard? Admirably. It yeah. did. Admirably. It, the, 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 the matter was grave enough, and the procedure was well and... Yeah, the House took its time, as you and said, it was, it was bipartisan. bipartisan. The whole thing. Yeah. Okay, so Everybody we have, one, we have one, one impeachment that does credit to those involved. And not only that, the conviction would have been assured. Well, right. that's, this is an interesting thing. If Donald Trump had been in Nixon's place and had carried it out even farther, suppose Nixon was like Trump said, I'm not resigning. You want to impeach me? Go all the way to trial. Remove <laughs> me. Maybe he would have survived. That, that's probably the lesson people take now that. after Nixon, Clinton, and... Trump is the impeachment of Bill Clinton. The Good impeachment of Bill Clinton yeah. in 1998. Did that meet the founder's standard? I was against that impeachment. I thought that you were against the impeachment, or in favor of impeachment and against conviction. I was against the impeachment. The whole thing. I thought it was just it did not rise to the level of the importance. He lied under oath. I, I understand he lied under oath, but, but that, I basically blame anybody who puts him under oath under circumstances where it's utterly related ahead. to the essentials of government. I would not have impeached. So I actually, this is where my disagreement with Richard, I think, comes out, because I don't think you should be, you can be impeached only for a crime. So I don't think that matters. But I don't think it was important enough, a matter of state, to remove the president. All right, so we have two of the three impeachments that have taken place in the nation's history were meretricious, should, simply Unworthy of the system. Unworthy of the system. Yeah. All right. So the question now is, this impeachment, if I understand the argument that you both made earlier, the founders raised the bar very high because they wanted to protect the separation of powers. They wanted the presidency to be genuinely independent. And the question now is, when you have a totally partisan impeachment, and that is objectively the case, not a single Republican in the House voted for these articles of impeachment, how much damage, how much permanent institutional damage has been done not to Donald Trump, but to the presidency. To what extent are we likely from now on to see presidents effectively subjected to votes of confidence in the House of Representatives? John? I don't. John. Well, I, I think that actually is a ground a senator might vote to acquit, even if the facts are true, is they would say, if we <coughs> vote to convict a president on these grounds, we are essentially going to open the door to repeated common uses of impeachment right. over differences of parties, party control or simple policy disputes. And what you'll have is us turn into a parliamentary government. Because, And that's why, the, as you said, that's why the founders used impeachment rather than some kind of no confidence vote. They didn't provide for anything like a censure, no easy ways to remove a president because they didn't want Congress controlling the president through the impeachment power. And that's why it is two thirds. So, I'm, I sometimes I think How much I, damage has been done? I think I worry that after the precedent by the House today, that's inevitable now, and that when you have a Republican House and a President Buttigieg, you're going to have 
somebody start an impeachment proceeding? Well, I don't think we know. Let me put it to you the following way. Suppose mm -hmm. what you do is you get, against my better judgment, quote unquote, a conviction on the first article, and then you get a large number of Democrats that refuse to convict on the second article on the ground that it upsets executive privilege. This would answer the question of what's going to happen the next time around, because we now know that obstruction of Congress can never be an impeachable offense unless there is a judicial order to testify, which has been defied by a president or by some high official under a presidential order. And so I th even for those who believe Donald Trump is guilty, every, every, yeah. guilty of all kinds of things, mm -hmm. there, is an, there is a constitutionally honorable way out in the Senate, and that is to vote to convict on the abuse of power but not article, on the second. But not on obstruction of Congress. Because the obstruction of Congress is the one which essentially completely wrecks the total system and creates the chamber of horrors that, Don, that John is talking about. So you cannot allow that to happen. Uh, and in fact, I regarded it as a disgrace that the Democrats you, all voted for the second right. one. Where there was not a single murmur of dissent under a case where it's so palpably weaker than the first one. At least one person should have been able to flip. All right, final questions. Let me give you a few quotations. I'm just going to pepper you with a few quotations. This is from CNN. In a meeting of the House Democrats, this is earlier this week, Speaker Pelosi, quote, laid into Senator Majority Leader McConnell, saying that he's acting like a rogue Senate leader. She mused that she sometimes wonders whether McConnell has Russian connections, close quote. George Conway, wife, husband of White House advisor Kellyanne Conway, tweeted what a just yesterday, I believe, quote, Donald Trump, this is, just, this is very nuanced. Donald Trump is a lying idiot, all right? Then we have the President of the United States apparently <coughs> suggesting that the Speaker of the House wears dentures, said, tweeted that during a press conference, quote, Nancy's teeth were falling out of her mouth, close quote. Okay, now two final quotations. David Brooks, writing in the New York Times, Donald Trump is impulse-driven, ignorant, narcissistic, and intellectually dishonest, so you'd think that those of us in the anti-Trump camp would go out of our way to show we're not like him. But the anti-Trump echo chamber is becoming a mirror image of Trump himself, overwrought, <laughs> uncalibrated, and incapable of having an intelligent conversation." Close quote. Final quotation. This is a tweet by the Israeli writer Yoram Hazoni. Quote, I used to tell my kids that one day Israeli discourse would mature and be like America's. <laughs> now, no more. U.S. public life is now a juvenile mudslinging contest, close quote. Serious question. Can democracy function if public life involves very little more than mudslinging? Can we, can we continue to function like this? Richard? The answer is on a long sustained basis, no. But this is my prediction of what will happen. I think there will be an acquittal on both of these particular charges. And I think afterwards, I think both sides will start to reconnect and figure out what's going on. So here's the question. Suppose we, 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 both sides, you mean we, Republicans? We, and, and the Democrats will start reeling in effect that not only have they damaged the institutions, they've damaged and sullied their own personal reputation. So there will be at least some pullback. The real question will come only after November of 2020, 
on the question, if Donald Trump loses after being acquitted, uh, there will be endless amounts of repercussions. If he wins after it turns out he's being acquitted, my view about that situation is in terms of long-term political situations. It will be less damaging to the nation, even though people will be dubiously aggrieved, because nobody will now be able to think that the impeachment strategy was able to bring about a toppling of the government through the legislative process. John? So uh, I disagree with some of what Richard said and agree with the bottom line. This is the as usual. So, <laughs> so first of all, we're neither of us were Trump supporters at the beginning. Famously, Richard, Richard is famous for the very day of the inauguration <laughs> calling on Donald Trump to resign. <laughs> Funny, well, Why waste time? It was a week. It was a week. It was oh, a week. Was Save week? this whole oh. this impeachment ho ho. Yes, I do not want to be misunderstood so, on that. So one thing about the politics. Yes, that's those are uh, statements which show how debased our politics are becoming. American history goes in cycles. I don't think this is worse than what you saw during the Federalist Jeffersonian period or during the, the election of 1800 yeah. versus Or Jefferson. the Gilded Age, you see political arguments and statements where, which you know, the, today's world actually reminds me very much of. Uh, so we're just in one of those cycles of extreme partisanship and polarization, but things change. American politics has changed too. But the, the, the second thing though, I, I think is, and this is where I agree with him, what this is all about is how do you remove a president? Impeachment, which is an extraordinary remedy, or the simple system of every four years you have an election. You can and the Federalist Papers say that, and the founding debates say that. If a president abuses power, or if he makes bad decisions, or he's a terrible person, the way you remove him is through an election. Only if it's some extraordinary abuse of power do you take an off-ramp and use this remedy of impeachment. And I think what we're both saying is let the electoral process work, let politics, however bad they are, work. And if you don't like Donald Trump, you think he's doing a bad job, he's a terrible person, just vote against him this November. Right. By the way, I, I wanted to make one comment. I thought he should resign in 2017. I made no bones about it, and I still think that was the correct judgment. But I think under the current circumstances, uh, to resign in the face of this kind of pressure uh, creates a very, very different kind of situation. Yeah, now he's got to stay in. Now he's got to fight this attack on the presidency. But the other mm -hmm. point is, one of the reasons you could call for resignation in 2017 is you'd get Michael Pence. Now, if it turns out that you uh, have a situation in which you vote against him in the election, you're going to get Joe Biden or probably Bernie Sanders. And I have to say, if the choice is between those two, um, I will vote for Tom, Donald Trump for re-election against either of those people. I mean, not because I love him, for Trump this time. but why is that? Because the alternative is so much more horrible than even Politics Hillary Clinton. I'm I did not I'm vote still, for Trump in 2016. I'm, I'm still writing in Richard Epstein in my ballot, just like last time. <laughs> Look, keep doing <laughs> Two last questions. Frightening, Two last it? questions. <laughs> Two last questions. Needed to convict, 67 votes in the Senate. Republicans hold 53 seats, Democrats 47. Name it. What will the final vote be on Article 1 and Article 2? My guess is it will probably be about 51-49. I'm not sure which way. I think a couple of Republicans will defect. I think all of the independent Democratic jurists will vote to convict. I don't think there'll be any defections on that side. John? I agree. No Democrats will vote to acquit, I assume. But I don't think any Republicans will vote to remove Trump from office either. I straight think party be, line. Yeah, straight when party. it comes right down to it, even Susan Collins, who's under pressure and running for re-election in Maine, will vote to support. They may want to have, they want to have witnesses, but I, see. I don't but think they're going to vote mean, to, look, and that's the, to the, remove. If you do get the witnesses, then the uh, competence in these judgments has to go down. All right. 
Final question, November 2020, will Donald Trump be reelected? At this point, I would have to say yes. John? If the Democrats nominate a socialist, he'll win. No, Bernie even Sanders if, or Warren. Well, name a, name a non-socialist who's in Biden. the running. You th well, you no, I, so I think if the Democrats end up nominating Bloomberg, then I think then it's a really interesting he, race. And he's got this interesting strategy to you know, get the win at the convention. He will basically lose, I think, 65-35. Bloomberg? Yeah, I think he's hopeless. I, the Democratic progressive rings will walk out en masse on this particular man. Because this, Michael Bloomberg is too far to the right for the Democratic and Party. And also, by the way, speaking about doing things by having popular support without independent wealth, right? Uh, he's going to basically self-finance this campaign. He's willing to spend a billion dollars in order to do it, which is I'm willing to spend a billion dollars. The difference is uh, I, I would be willing it. to spend well, it If you too. care about the Constitution, you don't want a socialist to win. Well, because I understand they're that. the ones who want to change things like get no. rid of the Electoral College, pack the Supreme Court. Oh, I mean, these people are terrible. Get rid of the I mean, Senate. You know, I mean, I might vote for government. Bloomberg. I mean, so if you care about the Constitution, there's Trump, and then a small universe of the Democratic candidates are also acceptable. John Yu, Richard Epstein, thank you very much. Hey, thank you. <laughs> Tired. Are you tired? That's, a, that's <laughs> the first time I've worn you out, Richard. That's a Jewish way of saying thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> for Uncommon Knowledge, the Hoover Institution, and Fox Nation, I'm Peter Robinson. Thank you.